0: And tell your neighbor, you're looking good today. Now, if you feel like you just fibbed, ask the Lord under your breath to forgive you. (laughs) I'm just teasing. Hey, it's great to see you. Great to see you. I'm glad the storm last night, the half-inch rain didn't keep you away from church. It's amazing. Lanell, I woke up this morning and I said, uh, it was thundering, you know, and raining. I said, "Uh, honey, can I stay home today? Watch church online, and she wouldn't go for it. But uh, today has been a good day to go to sleep, you know, sleep, watch the, watch the uh, uh, online service. Let me welcome all of you that are online today, certainly not minimizing that. I watch every time that I'm, uh, I'm not here. That's, uh, that's where I'm joining with you. But if you've got your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We're going to go back to a series we were in uh, several weeks ago called Spiritual Terrorism. And it is about winning this spiritual battle against an unseen enemy because the Bible teaches us very clearly that there's a war going on and you can't see it. The Bible teaches us that the devil is real, that demons are real, they have an assignment, and you can't see them physically in the spiritual realm, but you can see the outcome of their actions, you can see what they do. I fully believe that there's demon spirits involved in the abortion industry. I firmly believe that the murder rates that have been escalating crime rates, uh, there's something more than just defunding police. There's something that's happening. There's a murderous spirit in the land. Uh, how many know uh, there's just wickedness in our land everywhere. We've been trying to understand this, and Ephesians six twelve reminds us of the fight. It says we fight, uh, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against, say it with me, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. And then he says it again. We're fighting against, say it, mighty powers in this dark world. And the third time, we're fighting against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So in this series, it's not mystical, spooky, weird, you know, telling you there's a devil behind, you know, every chair. But there may be one behind you today. Don't look, though. (laughs) But that's not what we're saying. We've been trying to, in a very, very uh, uh, um, relevant way, I've tried to show you how Satan influences people's lives. I've been doing some case studies. Remember we began with Judas? Remember the picture of the puppet? Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus Christ uh, for 30 pieces of silver. It was almost the love of money grew in his heart. Satan found the way to get into Judas's life. Money was it, and he betrayed Christ. Uh, we looked uh, After that we looked at uh, Adam and Eve, but Eve in particular. I really believe that there somehow Satan embodied the serpent and uh, when Satan embodied the serpent, he spoke to Eve, told her she could be like God if she would just rebel against God. She ate the forbidden fruit and the tempter got his way. Remember after that we looked at David, something that m- many of us wrestle with today, sexual immorality, temptation, lust. David looked at Bathsheba, and you remember, it was just as if Satan just pushed him over the edge. Uh, Rationalizations took place in his mind, and before you know it, 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 his world falls apart. Last time we talked, we talked about offenses and how Satan uses hurt feelings, uh, being disappointed, being let down, how Satan can use these things to break relationships. Well, today I want to talk to uh, uh, in this same vein and show you how Satan can use fear to stop us from following God. Satan can use fear of of millions of things. I mean there's all sorts of things we can be afraid of and um, uh, we're going to explore that a bit today but I want to look at our text. We're going to look at the Old Testament passage about the twelve spies. And if you know the story, uh, I say story, story sounds like it's fiction and it's not. If you know the historical account of the nation of Israel, they found themselves as slaves in Egypt. God miraculously delivered them. They are going through the wilderness with Moses. Remember Moses, Ten Commandments, all that's happening there. manna's happening. And they get to the edge of the Jordan River, and God says, I want you to cross this Jordan and go into what's called the Promised Land. And that's where the story unfolds because I'm going to show you how fear kept them out. Fear kept them from following God's purpose for their life. Our text in Numbers 14, verse 8, Caleb is speaking. He's one of the 12 spies. He said, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land. Don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid afraid of the people of the land. The Lord is with us. And then he says it again. Don't be Afraid. afraid of them. And what I'm going to endeavor to show you today that Satan wants to manipulate us through fear. He wants to make us believe a lie that God cannot and God will not do what He promised to do in our lives because what He wants to do is He wants to hinder us from our destiny. It was more than just making people afraid, and, uh, but what they were doing is they were a part of God's plan and purpose, just like you are, just like I am. They had a destiny for their lives, something God wanted them to do for the rest of their life, and they faced some giants or some obstacles, and they were afraid, and a fear shut them down, and, and, and they just didn't do it. So we're going to talk about the paralyzing power of fear, and the central truth that I want to bring to you today is simply this is that Satan wants to use fear to manipulate us and to stop us from following God. But here's the good news. We fight fear with faith in God and faith in His Word. Let's begin. I, I, before I get into the passage in uh, Numbers, I want to first talk about the nature of fear and understand that fear is an emotion and fear, will see, uh, can be good and can be bad. Um, Let me show you a good, well, first of all, just a simple gut level definition of fear is fear means uh, a feeling that something bad may happen. Now, how many know feelings are real, but how many know feelings are not necessarily true? Uh, feelings are real. Uh, for example, um, last night, I was putting my little puppy out, and he's about 10 weeks old now, and, and he'd had his playtime in the house, and well, we were ready to, you know, kind of wind down for the night, and uh, I went outside, had my little flashlight walking down my little sidewalk. I live out in Redwater, out in the country, and uh, he wouldn't come, and I took at him and I said, no, now, he's a really smart little dog, and he knew where I was taking him to the cage, and he didn't want to go to the cage, but when I turned around and looked, there was a, a, a copperhead about this long, about two feet long it would be, be my guess, now, not a bass like you caught that was three feet long, okay? He was literally a two-foot copperhead snake, and uh, fear came on me. That's a good fear. I didn't go up and say, here, copy, 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 copy. Here, copy, copy, copy. I'm going to pull your tail no, come on. It'd be crazy. I didn't do that. What I did, I kept my flashlight on it. I, I got the dog in the house. Uh, Rebecca's boyfriend was here. I called him. I said, hey, I need some help with a snake. I'm going in because it's coming after me. I said, Linnell, please kill the snake. I did not. I got a shovel, and I sent him to hell. Or wherever snakes go. Now, if it's a king snake... I'm his man. I'm going to back away from him, but I'm going to let him live. He'll eat snakes, but, 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 but copperheads, they're part of the fall and they deserve to go down there to hell quicker. How about that? I don't know if snakes go to hell. Come on, don't get too theological on me right now. But anyway, he's no longer a part, a part of this planet. Well, that was a good fear. Just like when the tornado alarm goes off. How many know that's a good fear? you know, uh, it doesn't mean you're not trusting God, but it's a, it's a self-protective mechanism that God has given all human beings to protect our lives. There's another good fear in the Bible. It's called the fear of God. It's an awe-filled reverence. It's a respect of God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps us from sinning. That's a good type of fear. And that's not a scary fear. That's a respect. But I want to start focusing for the rest of the message now is on the bad side of fear that paralyzes us, that makes us doubt God's Word and stop following God. If you know the story of David and Goliath, you know that David just didn't show up one day and go out and kill this 10-foot giant. David was a teenager, maybe 16 years old, but Israel had been fighting a battle for a month. But the way they'd been fighting is Goliath would get up in the morning, and he represented the Philistines. He would stand on one mountain, and the Israelites were on the other side of the valley, and he would say, come and fight with me, and uh, whoever wins you know, will basically get all the plunder. Well, lo and behold, they had been for 30 days paralyzed by fear. And they wouldn't go and take this giant. And then David, one little boy that just believed God, God had been helped him in the past. He picked up a rock, slung it, and then he was exalted and promoted to being the king just like that. So fear can stop us. And this is is what we're looking at. Um, uh, There's a connection in the Bible. You know, the the Bible says 33 times uh, in the ESV translation, fear not people tend to fear uh, uh, at strange times. Remember when Jesus is walking on the water? What did he tell the disciples? Don't be afraid. What did he tell the gals at the tomb? You know, when Jesus resurrected, angels were there. What? Don't be afraid. So fear is something naturally that we feel as we feel that we are helpless, as we feel that we're weak, as we feel that something's stronger than us. You know, if we're on an airplane and the engine goes out, I mean, we're helpless to do anything about the situation. It's part of human nature, but it's an opportunity to be able to trust and depend on God more. Now, let me give you some scriptures because I cannot give you a scripture in the Bible that says Satan makes you afraid. I cannot give you a scripture that says all fear is caused by the devil because it's not. But I want to show you some scriptures that provide a linkage to this human emotion and how Satan takes advantage of our fear, just like he did Judas's love for money and just like he appealed to Eve that uh, if she ate that fruit, she would be uh, wise like God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, uh, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. So here's my question. If God hadn't given us a spirit of fear, where does it come from? Now, Arguably, some of it can come from within, that natural response, but I'm going to suggest to you as we go in this and show you how Satan can be a part to this. Because in this passage, what's happening is he, he, Paul spoke these words to Timothy, but he had just talked about Timothy's ordination in the previous verses. And Paul seemed to suspect that Timothy didn't feel like he was able, that he wasn't capable, that he didn't have what it took to be this man of God, to do what God had called him to do. And basically what Paul is saying to him is say, look, son, this, this spirit you're feeling, this timidity, this cowardness, that's uh, not from God. He says, God has given us what? Next part of the verse. Power. Power, Power, love and of a sound mind. So God is the one that gives power. Power to overcome the timidity, the cowardness, the things that we fear. Now, um, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, more pointedly, he says, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer because, what's it say next? The devil. the devil. Uh, The devil will throw some of you into prison. Let me say this for the skeptic. The Bible does not teach us that the dev- that the devil is a an idea. He's the product of mythology. That he is uh, what superstitious people kind of ex- use to explain away why bad things happen. The Bible teaches that, uh, and this was in my first message in the series. It's all online. You can look at it as well as the notes. But the devil is a a real spiritual being. He is a fallen angel, and when he literally fell from heaven, he he brought a third of the angels with him. They rebelled against God. So Satan is a is a real spiritual being. The Bible says he roams the earth. Uh, he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the God with a little G, the God or ruler of this world. But uh, here it says the devil will throw some of you in prison. Now, do you think when the devil did that, that uh, he had his pitchfork and red horns and uh, uh, his little tail hanging behind him, just getting Christians and putting them in jail? Or did he use politicians and Roman soldiers to influence and get them in jail? Well, anyway, he's at work throwing you in prison. But if you remain faithful even when facing death, I'll give you the crown of life. Now, listen to these words, fear, suffering, the devil, prison, death. It's somehow all connected there. And this idea of the fear of death is more pointed in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus partook of the same things as we have, that through his death, now listen to this, he might destroy the one, the one who has the power power of death, that is The the devil. The devil has the power of death. And listen to this. So that Jesus, and here's good news, can deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, what does that mean? That means we all know in the back of our minds somewhere, particularly as we age, that one day we're going to die. But we don't think, I don't think it's healthy to think about it every day. But you better not just stick your head in the sand. You better not just whistle as you grow past the graveyard. Death came into the world because of sin. Death is not God's original plan. Adam and Eve would not have died unless sin came into the world. Everyone is going to die until sin and the devil are cast into hell, and then there's no more death in heaven. But we as human beings, when we reach the end of our limitations, we realize that one day we're going to die. We go to funerals. Our parents are aging. Uh, People that we love die. And then sooner or later it hits us. And we realize we're going to die. And then Satan can make us afraid of that and do everything to avoid that. Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I don't know. Let's just say X number of years ago, uh, the speed limit used to be 65 going from Texter out towards Redwater. And then they lowered it to 60 because so many people got killed on the Highway 67. So I better not get in the car and drive down Highway 67 or I'm going to die. I know my church is there. I know my kids go to school there, but I'm not going to go there because I may die. I'm not going to get on an airplane because I'm out of control. And, 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 and you know, whatever it is, one in 100,000 or one in whatever, uh, they crash. And they crash. And so I'm not going to get on an airplane. And, and I'm not going to go out in public because this COVID virus I know 99-point-whatever, 9-something percent of the people are okay, but I'm, I'm not going to go. And if I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear two masks. And I'm not knocking masks. I wore one when that was what we needed to do. But I'm just saying is that fear can keep you from living. Let me be very personal with you. And I've, I've shared over the years that I, I, the struggle that I have had with panic attacks and anxiety that started after my wife's breast cancer. Uh, While she was going through the treatments and everything, I was fine. But afterwards, it's kind of like a PTSD kind of thing. And I started having panic attacks. I passed out a couple times in in, in a restaurant. It was just horrible. And uh, you say, well, you're thinking, well, you should have gone to the doctor. Well, I did. Thank you. Went to the emergency room several times. I've seen internists. I've seen cardiologists. I've seen neurologists. I've seen, you know, MDs, ENTs, DMDs, and QDDs. I mean, I've seen, I've seen all those people. And they, they gave me some things that helped, but they didn't take it away. And uh, I, I, last Wednesday night, this is something that I battle every day of my life. And uh, what I battle mostly, because it's partly physiological, there's something, uh, the hormones in my body, serotonin, something is just, something's out of whack, Uh, it may have some genetic component to it, but uh, there's things that trigger it, and sometimes I don't even know what triggers it, it just kind of happens. Well, last Wednesday night, I was praying over in that corner, I wasn't even speaking, it was a relaxing night, this is not logical, but it just came on me, and it came on me hard. And it was so hard that I didn't think I could stay in church. I thought I was literally going to have to leave the building. And, of course, you know, my wife prayed for me. And I prayed and participated in the service. And she said, I didn't know anything was even wrong with you. But on inside, because what happens, I have tinnitus, my ears ring, my body gets tense, and muscles tighten through here. And then this fear says, maybe you're having a heart attack. This is going to be the day you die. I know you've had these feelings for five years, six years, and you hadn't died yet. But surely today is the day you're going to die. You've never thought like that, have you? Well, I'll tell you what. So then I, And I made it fine. And I went to, did my little Wednesday ritual. I stopped by Taco Bell. I got me some tacos. I went home and put my wife's sauce on it, and I was fine. And then Friday morning is prayer time again. And here's where I'm going with this. In the middle of Thursday night, I woke up and I had this thought. Maybe I shouldn't go to prayer tomorrow. I wonder where that thought came from. I went ahead and got up, put my, put my clothes on, and I, and I got in my truck. And when I started to crank my truck up, this thought came again. They would understand if you didn't go to prayer. And what was happening, Satan tries to use fear to keep me from doing what I'm called to do, what I know is God's will for my life. So this is real. I understand it, and I want to help you with it today. Uh, Look at Numbers chapter 13, and let's get in our story now of of Israel. Uh, Satan used fear to keep a whole generation from following God and entering the promised land. Numbers chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Send men, they're in the wilderness now, they're going to the promised land. Send men to explore the land of Canaan. Now this next part you need to somehow underline it, because it forms the basis for the whole story. I'm the land that I, God says, am giving to the Israelites. This is a promise from God. Uh, This is the basis of your faith. Uh, You know, I pray every time I go turkey hunting, Lord, let me hear a gobbler in the tree and let him be a big one and let him come down and let me hunt that thing. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone turkey hunting and didn't hear a thing and didn't see a thing. It's not always that, you know, we ask God, we have faith, we pray and it all turns out perfect. But when God gives you a promise and a word, when you know there's an assurance in your heart... Uh, I was, when, when I was in the throes of this anxiety thing five years ago, I didn't know if I'd be able to return back to the pulpit. I took three months off, and one morning, I'm getting out of bed, getting ready to face the thing that I face from daylight to dark, and I got out of the bed, and I heard this voice. And I don't mean it was a voice like you're hearing from mine, but in my spirit, I heard the Lord say, when you have recovered, strengthen your brethren. When you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And it was the quote that Peter, Peter and Jesus, of course. But what it said to me, it said to me, I'm coming back to what the gods call me to do. I may not be ready yet, but I am coming back. And it gave me a promise or a word. Well, that's what Israel had. God was going to give them. But it wasn't going to be automatic. It was going to take faith to overcome the giants, and Satan was going to use fear to try to stop their destiny. Look at verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people there are strong or weak, few or many. Uh, Do your best to bring back uh, samples of the crops you see. So jumping ahead after their journey, they come back, verse 23. And they had cut down a branch from a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. And they reported to Moses, we entered the land you sent us to explore. It's a bountiful country. Here's the fruit it produces. Now, we got a picture. This is probably from the first iPhone, so it's not real clear. But two men, and, 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 and those looked like oranges, but they were grapes. Have you ever been to Albertsons? And, and got a cluster of grapes so big that you had to get your husband to, to help you pick it up? No, it's not like that. Now, maybe if you go to Sam's, you might get something so big because, you know, all this stuff is more and bigger. But that's just not the way we do grapes. Now, can you imagine that these men came back to the camp, one to two million people, they're at the tabernacle, which is the church. Moses is there, and they're standing there with these grapes. But this next word, three letters is one of the most destructive words in all the Bible. You know what it is? But. Here's the grapes. But the people there are powerful. Their towns are fortified. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now, that doesn't mean anything to me. Who in the heck was Anak? Maybe I can illustrate it this way. How many played basketball when you were growing up? On basketball team or your kids played basketball? How many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I asked? I'm going to tell my basketball story anyway. So your little team is is on one end of the court and you're doing layups and dribbling and and your tallest guy is six foot two. Now He's your center, you know. He's you know he's the man and uh, you a bunch of little little, little mites and uh, you're six foot two. Well the other team comes out and they duck their head when they come in the door, and their first guy comes out who's a forward and he's six six. He comes to the basket and he dunks it that away. The next one out the door he's six six another forward. He comes out dunks this way and then the center comes out and he's 6'10 and he comes out stops under the basketball goal and just jumps straight up and goes and all of a sudden mom and daddy say let's go get some popcorn or something honey this is not going to be much of a game and you that are playing on the on, on the court you can't even make a layup anymore because you're just looking at how big they are well that's what they saw and it produced fear. Giants in Hebrew means men with reckless, for, uh, being recklessly ferocious, ungodly, daring men, spreading devastation. And it was these giants that stood between them and God's promise. And I wonder if Satan whispered in their ear, You're gonna die. I wonder if Satan whispered in their ear, It's no way you can do this. I wonder if Satan made them believe somehow, not controlling like a puppet but a willful choice to believe these thoughts that just came to their mind. It was a defining moment, and God's promise was about to be stolen from a whole generation because of fear. Look at verse 30. Caleb tries to quiet the people. Remember now there's 12 spies, 10, 10 that basically are negative and 2 that are positive. 2 that believe Joshua and Caleb. Um, Joshua verse 30, or Caleb said to the people, let's go at once and take the land. No, we can. We can certainly conquer it. But the other man disagreed, and they said what? We can't. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. And you know what's missing in their analysis? God. God. God has no part to play in what they just said. Now, these guys are standing there with a two-foot thing of grapes. And God has nothing to do with this. See, the difference between these ten and two men, they all saw the same giant. But Caleb and Joshua saw God and they had faith. And the other men stared at the giants and they let fear come in and they let fear stop them. Faith acts while fear paralyzes. Uh, Do you think it's possible that Satan was implanting lies in these men's head? You say, well, now, how can he do that? I'm glad you asked. John 8, verse 44, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He says, you are are the children of your father, the devil. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character. Now listen, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Here's my question. Who does he lie to? Do you think he lies to other demons? They're sitting around playing poker and drinking beer. You think they're telling lies? Or do you think Satan lies to people just like Judas and just like Eve, and just like David, and just like the person wearing your shoes today. He has this capacity, and I can't fully tell you how to determine if the thoughts in your head are from you or if they are a spiritual, negative spiritual thought, but I can tell you one way that I analyze, I let it go through the Bible And if this thought that's trying to take root in my mind is in the face of the Bible, for example, God's going to give us the land, and they say, no, it's not, they should have recognized it as a lie, but they didn't. Um, Look at verse 32. They spread the bad report among the Israelites. Now, this is going to amaze you. They spread the bad report. The land will devour anyone who goes to live there. Now, God had told them he was going to give it to them, and they had gone, and Jewish uh, writers... Uh, from this period of time throughout history, have 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 depicted that land as a barren land, as a very tough land. It's like cactuses and no water, and you know a lot of graveyards. It's a very difficult place. They said it's going to devour anyone. Verse thirty-three. Here's the buddies again. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers, and I'm sure they did. I'm sure they felt just like that five foot six inch point guard. Felt when he saw those big six foot ten guys playing against him. He thought about charging the goal and he, he making a layup, and he realized those guys were too big. He felt like a grasshopper. But here's the part that amazes me the most: that's what they thought too. How in the world did they know what the giants were thinking? See, because they as spies, you couldn't go into a territory if you let them know you were a spy. They would kill you. So now, what fear has done, fear takes over the way we think, and fear always imagines the worst. How many have ever been taking a shower and you were kind of, you know, rubbing the soap around, and you felt a lump? That lump's not supposed to be there. How many seconds did it take for you to have cancer? Now, lumps can be serious. But just because you have a lump doesn't mean you have cancer. But yet in our minds, it takes over. And this is how fear works. Fear grows into doubt. Doubt eats away at faith. And faith can lead to rebellion against God. You know, believers have always fought against fear in their faith. We, we, we talked already about Israel. You remember Israel there on one mountain and uh, Goliath is on the other. And fear paralyzed them. Uh, how about Peter? Remember when Peter walked on water? Uh, I literally believe that was true. Uh, he's the only man in recorded history that was able to defy the law of gravity and literally walk on water. And I don't mean somebody that's got, you know, flotation devices on their feet. I mean somebody that just had sandals on their feet walking on the water. But you know why he walked on the water? Because Jesus was walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And faith made him step out of that boat. But if you go back and read the narrative, what you'll see is you'll see that the winds were boisterous and the waves began to do this. Just picture in your mind Peter riding the wave like a surfer and coming down. And then the Bible says he saw these waves were pretty rough. And the Bible says he became afraid and began to doubt. Fear opened the door. Fear was like pouring water on a faith fire. And this is what happened. It kills fear. It's the way that it always works. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now we see a shift. The whole community is weeping. It's one to two million people. We've got Moses, tabernacle. We've got 12 spies, 10 against 2. We've got a circle of people that are listening. And we've got people that are running throughout. uh, This 1 to 2 million people telling them the story that we're all going to die. We're never going to go in. The whole community began weeping. The Bible says they cried all night. Now listen to this. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? You know what that was? It was a lie. It was a lie that just like if I go to that church and pray on Friday morning I might have another attack and this time I might die it was just like that and the, ch- and the choice that we make is am I gonna let fear make my next choice for me or am I gonna let my faith in what God said I'm preaching better than you're amening yeah. you see the whole community got this thing fear is contagious ten people gave it to two million It was more contagious than COVID. I mean, it swept through the crowd in just a matter of time, a quick amount of time. uh, 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 People were exposed to it. Fear made the lie real, and it made it factual, and it was not. Look at verse 6. Joshua and Caleb, the land we explored is a wonderful land. This is our text. And if the Lord is pleased with us, what's it say? He will. He will. He will bring us into the land. Uh, Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. How could this man in the face of giants say not be afraid? That little phrase that said, if God is with us, he will. Now, let me tell you this, friends. There's things that help us through our most difficult, fearful times. And I've learned to rely on God's word. There the, are the two Greek words for the word word. One is logos. It's the written word of God. It's the Bible. Number two is rhema. Rhema is a living word. It's a spoken word from God. It could be a prophecy. It could be a vision. Uh, it could be a scripture that comes alive. Uh, to, well, let me tell you a, a scripture that came alive to me that gave me courage to keep standing. It was Philippians one six because I felt helpless. Uh, For all my life, I was able to do anything I wanted to whenever I wanted to do it. I was never rich, but I always found money. I could do everything. I could climb anything. I could go anywhere. I went all over the world in the Navy. But all of a sudden, I was facing something that I couldn't get a handle on. And no doctor, no counselor, no professional could tell me what to do. No pill could make it go away unless they just sedated me and put me in a sanatorium. Are you with me today? But yet, I read that scripture in Philippians 1-6. He who began the good work in me, he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And then it made me depend on God in a way I've never depended on God in my life before. And I had an anchor to hold on to in my life, just like the Israelites should have had the anchor that God is giving us this land. Joshua and Caleb had it, but the ten let it slip through their fingers because of fear. <sighs> The antidote to fear is faith. Fear is an emotion. Faith is a choice to believe. You can still have faith when your knees are knocking. You can still have faith when you're scared because faith is an action. Fear is a feeling. Let's keep going. Verse 10, sooner or later God shows up. The glorious presence of the Lord appears. And God said something pretty uh, amazing to me. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? That is, despise me. Will they never believe me? God had promised to give them this land. All they had to do was go. The giant was there and God would help them fight the battle. Even after all the miraculous signs that I've done. You know what needed to happen that didn't happen? And I don't know that I'll do this now, but last night I sang a song I made up. See, the problem is I can't sing, (laughs) but somebody needed to go through that camp when people are saying, oh, the giants are so big we'll never get a basket. We'll never even get to shoot. They're so big and they can even dribble. We won't even get the inbound pass. Somebody needed to walk through and say, would you just stop that? and Would you start remembering what God had done? What God has done. What God did when we were in Egypt. How the Red Sea opened up all by itself and we walked through it on dry land. Would you remember what God has done? Would you remember the plagues when it was dark over in Egypt? So dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face but we could see over where we are. Look what God did. Look at the miracles God did. Look how God brought water out of a rock. Look how God feeds us manna, and we eat this stuff every day all of our life. Look at what God has done, and stop looking at the giants. I would sing. Nope. Nope. My mother-in-law and my sister-in-law quenched that in me years ago. I'm not afraid. They were just telling the truth, and I know I can't say. <laughs> okay, back to the Bible. Look at verse 20. It, it got bad for him. The Lord said, not one of these people will ever enter the land. See, sometimes there's big consequences. See, sometimes... God has something for us to do. And, and this is the whole point of the story. The point of the story is not just giving them a nice place to live. They were a people on a mission from God. They were the promised people. And one day Jesus Christ would be born in a place called Bethlehem. And guess where Bethlehem just happened to be? It happened to be in the promised land. And they had to get out over there to get it. But they wouldn't do it. God has a destiny for everyone in this room with your life. God has something He wants you to do, we need to be careful that we don't let fear stop us from doing what God has called us to do in our lives. Look at verse 24. My servant Caleb has a different attitude, or the ESV says, a different spirit. Remember the scripture we read earlier in Timothy? God's not given us a spirit spirit of fear, but of power. Isn't this what Caleb had? Didn't he have the spirit of power? And didn't the 10 have the spirit of fear and timidity? Yeah. Uh, Caleb remained loyal to me, and I'm going to bring him in the land. You're going to wander in the wilderness 40 years, a year for each day, and a whole generation would die. Why? Because of the consequences of their sin. I want to tell you, friends, listen, this, this thing can be serious. Most of the time, it's not this serious when fear takes over, but sometimes we miss the calling that God has for our life. Now I want to, I want to close this uh, today and say this. Faith in God and faith in His Word will help us win this battle against fear. Let me say it again. Your faith and confident trust in God and His Word to you. Whether it was a, a scripture, you know, that Philippians 1.6 for me, or when I jumped out of the bed and heard the words from, about Peter and Matthew, or someone gave me a, a prophecy. And a prophecy is simply an encouraging word that, from the Lord. It's all obviously got to be judged. You can't just take it at face value. But an elder told me, he said, I, I had a, a, a vision of you last night. I believe the Lord spoke to me. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, I saw you in waders. I mean, I like to duck hunt and we talk about it. He said, I saw you in waders. And sometimes you were walking in very shallow water and then sometimes you would go in deeper water, like going after a decoy or a, or, or a duck. And uh, when the water got deep, I noticed that it got to the, near the top of your waders, but it never got over the top of your waders. You always made it, whether the water was shallow or deep. And then he said, I felt the Lord tell me that no matter how high this anxiety and how hard this battle is, it's not going to overflow you, and it's not going to overwhelm you, and you're not going to drown. And I tell you, when I heard that, I said, write that down, and I pasted it on my dresser, and it gave me something to hold on to. Are you with me today? It gave. Listen, it gave me something to hold on to. When my wife was diagnosed with breast cancers, how many years? Eight years ago. She's seven years cancer-free right now, praise the Lord. But- when she was diagnosed, we were devastated for 10 days. We went in a fog, and I'm reading my Bible every day. And one day, an obscure verse, not even talking about healing and health, but a simple phrase that says, it will be well. And it's like God himself was talking to me. I had my promise to stand on, and we walked through that thing. Well, that, this is what we're talking about. It's faith in that. Here was our pivotal scripture, verse 30. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go take the land. We can certainly conquer it. And that's my prayer that you and I have the spirit of Caleb. That when God speaks to us, we say, let's go. He saw the giants just like everybody else did, but his faith in God wouldn't let Satan use fear to manipulate him. I close with this scripture. It's been the scripture we've looked at every week. You know it in James, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. Let me read it to you in the New Century Version. Give yourselves completely to God. Now, isn't that exactly what Joshua and Caleb did? They gave themselves completely to God. And then he goes on to say this. Stand against the devil. How do you stand? Faith in God's Word. And the devil will run from you. That's exactly what to do, friends, when fear comes knocking at your life. You ground your feet solidly in the Word of God having done all you stand and my promise to you is in agreement with the word of God you're going to make it to the other side fear is not going to win It isn't. faith is going to win because greater is he that is in you come on the Bible says than he that is in the world the God in you the God in Caleb the God in Joshua was greater than the people that they faced in the world how I many know God is for us and he's not against us give him a big hand today he's worthy worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet? And I want to pray with you right now. Give us just a moment because I believe that this is going to be a defining moment. Keep the lights up just a second so we can see around. I, I, want, to, I want to have a, a group prayer right now. And, and please just kind of try to ignore the folks that are coming. We're going to dedicate two babies. It's okay if they gather. But I want you to listen to me just a second because this is going to be a miracle moment for some people. How many believe the same God that delivered people in the Bible can deliver people today? There is a stronghold of fear that we're gonna pray against today. Every one of us are afraid. It's a part of life. But sometimes fear defines a person. My grandmother, who I love deeply, I called her Nana. But Nana had a stronghold of fear in her life. We lived in a little country house. You'd call it a duplex today, but it was just an add-on when Dad got married and I was born. We lived in the country on a farm. And uh, they had gas heaters, and the house was pretty old back then. And uh, in the middle of the summertime, Nana would go through the house, not once, but sometimes twice, to check the gas heaters because she was afraid that the house could burn down. I think that was a stronghold of fear. And if you're here today and you feel like there's a stronghold of fear in your life, it controls you. It stops you from doing things that you would like to do to engage life that you feel like God calls you to do. But that fear is always there. I want to believe that today the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the name of Jesus can break that fear off of you. So if that's you and you want our prayers today, would you just lift your hand real high and wave it right now? Just say, I want prayer right now. Now, all over the building, keep your hand up. I want someone to come and put your hand on their shoulder right now. Listen, I've confessed to you this in my life. If you struggle with it, I believe you can be free. Now look around the building and put your hand on the shoulder of someone. I see several people in the back. I want someone to put their hand, your hands on their shoulders as a sign of identification in prayer. I see two women in the back. I want someone to put your hand on their shoulder. I- I- anybody here? Yeah. There's some people there. Your hand, one man in the back there. Someone put your hand on his shoulder right now. And we're going to pray. I want you to pray with me right now. I see two people over here. Far left, I see people over here that's got their hands up. Now look around if you're back there. And I want someone just to put your hand on their shoulder right now. And I want the rest of us to bow our heads and we're gonna start praying right now. We're gonna pray and that Satan is gonna leave them right now. We're gonna pray right now that the power of fear will be broken. Come on, pray with me right now. Pray in the name of Jesus. Just let the Holy Spirit pray through you. If you're not no if you're not with but standing someone, you pray too. You pray in the spirit if you're able. But let's just pray right now that God would break. This spirit off of their life. That God would break Satan's influence off their life. That no longer would they be controlled by this demonic thing called fear, but he who the Son sets free will be free indeed so that's our prayer right now for our friends that anyone that is battling with this fear anxiety worry in life that it's going to be broken that its power will be severed from their lives and they will resist that thing in the name of jesus god we're praying because you said the name of jesus was all powerful and it's not our prayer but it's your holy spirit that will deliver them right now just like jesus delivered people in the new testament and we pray this today in jesus name come on somebody say praise the lord now, you, you that receive fear, look at me right now. You that receive fear, I want you to look at me right now. It's be the last thing I say. You that receive fear, uh, that receive prayer, I want you to just look at me. That was not taking a Tylenol pill. You have to do what James says, submit to God and resist the devil so he flees. Your submission to God is total and complete trust in God. It is trust in His Word. It is following God. It is fighting back with your faith to believe that today was the day that thing was broken in my life. And I'm not going to let Satan control me anymore. I'm telling you, friends, we're in a warfare. Satan doesn't give up easy. But how many know our king is greater than the, than the God of this world? Amen. He is worthy. I love you. Thank you for coming today. Join us as we dedicate these babies. Amen, amen. amen.
1: We're going to dedicate a few babies here. And let's introduce who we're, be, who we're uh, dedicating right now and introduce your family. I'm Nick. This is my wife, Sarah. This is our daughter, Anna, and our son, Nate. And family and friends back there. Was this little baby dedicated? One of our first ones here at our church, I think, this little one here. You'd be blessed. Introduce your family. Who you got here? Uh, this is my wife, Erin. Our baby, Kaya. My brother, Tanner. know this is an exciting time you know first of all when jesus was eight years or eight days old they brought him to the temple and they dedicated him to the lord and so this is a good thing you dedicate him to the lord whatever the age they are but it's really a dedication as pastor always says a dedication of us as families that uh you set the good example they need you know have them in church and our i mean our children's program is just amazing and the scriptures they learn. Just growing up, and it's a powerful thing. But as a family, look—you got a great support team here, and uh, we just want to pray over them, dedicate them to the Lord, and just pray there'll be angels to minister their needs, that they'll grow up to do the what God's called them to do. Amen. And grace for these parents and family. Lord, as we lay hands on them, precious. What? How you doing today? Want to say anything? Yeah, no, he's fired up today. We bless him. We lay hands on him and ask you, God, to touch him, fill him with your spirit. He'll be mightily used to the Lord. Lord, we lay hands on this one. We ask you to fill her, watch over her, bless her. Bless these mothers and fathers and these families. Lord, we dedicate them to you, Lord, and to your purposes. And we pray there will be angels to watch over Lord, that they'll be in health and prosper even as their soul prospers. And again, bless these families, Lord as we dedicate ourselves and as a church family to do our best to help train up these children the way they should go so they will not depart. And we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Be filled. Amen. God bless you. Prayer team, come on up. We'll pray for any needs you might have. And if you're not right with the Lord, man, stop over at this cross and just we'll pray with you and get Jesus in your life and let him be number one. And so you know where you'll spend eternity. God bless you.